Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed, and past performance does not guarantee future results. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. Uh, My name is Kirk Reed. Uh, I'm one of the advisors at McNamara Financial. Um, We have an exciting show for you today, Uh, something we've never done before, but something that we've been talking about for a long time uh, internally. Uh, And so we're going to do a little uh, financial jeopardy uh, today. Uh, So joining me uh, in the studio, I have Mary Beth. Hello. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. We have Lori. Hi, Kirk. Good good morning. (laughs) And we have Jane. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, So... Uh, we have put together some categories and some questions, and we're going to uh, play a little game. And we'll see what see what people know and see what people don't know. Um, so it'll be some fun today. We right. are ready. You're ready. We Perfect. are ready. All right. I love it. Uh, all right. So the categories for today are who can I trust, what's in it for me, mm. The roller coaster, financial potpourri. I like that Ooh. one. And let's see. Last but not least, uh, I'm sorry, that's not the category. Uh, <laughs> good housekeeping slash where there's a will. Dot dot dot. Interesting. Who came up with those great categories? Those I are, don't know. Those are terrific categories. You, wow. Someone uh, really knew what they were doing. I want to. Well, I want to thank all of you because you all. You know, participated and contributed to putting the show together. So thank you for you thank you so for welcome. your efforts. Yes, uh, thank you. Um, all right. So how about we let uh, Mary Beth have control of the board here uh, for very much. for the first pick? Kirk, I'll yes. take financial potpourri, please. All right, of course. That's the best. I always love uh, on you know on the actual show uh, when they have uh, potent potables. I just think that's a funny. Oh, yeah, that's a funny. Ca- we couldn't really. I don't know how we would have squeezed that one in I today. Know. So that's well, okay. Maybe next show. Maybe next, next show. double jeopardy. All right, we'll do that for after hours. All right, financial potpourri. All right, so this form is used to report distributions from pensions, annuities, retirement or profit sharing plans, IRAs, charitable gift annuities, and insurance. Oh, Jane, with the quick trigger. What is a 1099R? That is correct. Um, All right, so here's a follow-up question. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Do you know when those typically should be mailed out by? I'm going to guess January 31st. That is correct. Ooh, good oh, guess. I didn't All right. know that. So I think, uh, so, I'm, so you can give yourself a point there. But I know, Mary Beth, you've got a point system. So. I do. All right. All right. So you, <laughs> I'm going to ask you guys to keep track of your own points, and then we'll, we'll figure that out. We'll figure that in a few minutes uh, where we stand. Um, all right. Here's, here's one other question. So, so that's a 1099R. Mm-hmm. You know, the R essentially stands for re- retirement. retirement. Right. Okay. Um, so there's also a 1099 
div or div or dividend. And I know, so, oh, so what I didn't state earlier is that all of the contestants today, you know, work for McNamara Financial, and so they know that the 1099 divs are a little bit more challenging, right? Correct. Uh, we have sometimes, you know, people are looking for those because mm-hmm. uh, they want to get their taxes done, and those ones they don't have the same, you know, time constraints, you know, as the 1099Rs. Sometimes they come out in February. Um, you yeah, know, I some, think ours came out in February. Yeah. And they're way bigger. I mean, they're 16 pages sometimes, as opposed to the 1099R, which is generally one or two. Right, because it's really just distributions on the on the Rs, and then the divs are you know it's the dividends, capital gains, things that you sold, things that you bought. Um, yeah, so the, and those sometimes have the corrected cycles, which oh, I know can be frustrating and challenging. Um, all right, so all right, so Jane. Yes. All right, since you control, answered, control you can now pick the next category. All right, I think I'm going to go with. Who can I trust? All right. Everyone. <laughs> don't don't be so naive, Mary Beth. Uh, okay. Who can I trust? All right. Uh, let's see. All right. A person or entity you name on your investment accounts that will receive your funds upon your death. Oh, okay. I did, okay. I won't even finish the question because I have hands. <laughs> Trigger hands. I have hands. All right, Mary Beth. What is a beneficiary? That is correct. Um, right, so the beneficiary, and so, so one of the other notes here is that, all right, so if you have a beneficiary on an account, like an IRA or, or other you know, life insurance per se, um, now some people think that if you have a will, that the will is gonna cover you know, where your money goes you know, when you pass away. But if you have a, a certain account that has designated beneficiaries, that's not the case. It's going to go to whomever is named as the beneficiary, and it will supersede the will. Meaning, you know, it's going to go around the will, and mm-hmm. that's where it's going to go. I think that's confu- I think people often confuse that a lot, and they think, oh, my will is going to handle everything, uh, and that's, oh, that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not always true. the case. Not always the case. Now, can you have more than one beneficiary? Sure, you can. I technically <laughs> unlimited, I suppose. Oh. Uh, you know, at least whatever is administratively possible. Um, but sure, um, and you know, we never tell people what to do. Like that's not our area to tell people, you know, who to name as their beneficiary. That's really a sort of a legal uh, type, um, you know, suggestion that you, that you would get. You know, your attorney would say, "Here's what you should do based on your estate plan." Um, and so we'd always refer to an attorney for advice on something like that. So that's why we have our clients review their beneficiary designations every year when they come in for a review meeting, just to make sure that they're still up to date Correct. and who they want. Correct. Yeah, we try to, you know, we bring that up every year to remind people what they have listed because things change, right? Um, uh, good, bad, or, or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And just as a reminder, we certainly tell people what, what they have on file and, and remind them that that's where it's going. And uh, But we, yeah, we certainly don't give advice on on what you should do there. Um, I did have one other one other note on this one. So there you know were a couple changes um, a couple years ago um, as a part of the Secure Act, uh, if you recall, that was back in 2020. Um, and so you know sometimes if you inherit an IRA, uh, you know a retirement account, you can do what's called like a stretch IRA, uh, oh. where you can you know take. Uh, require distributions, you know, over your life expectancy, and basically defer the taxes, mm-hmm. as opposed to taking it all out and you know paying paying the income tax. Um, and so, 
So what basically, so if you inherit an IRA as of January 1st, 2020 or after, uh, the new rule states that you have to take those funds out within a 10 year period of time. Okay. So it used to be, so if, if you inherited money, you know, December 31st, 2019 or before, uh, you can basically take small distributions each year over your life expectancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after 1120, uh, the new rule is that you have to basically deplete that account within a 10 year period of time. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. Um, all right, so Mary Beth, why don't you choose a category? Let's try what's in it for me, Kirk. <laughs> okay. Uh, I do like the categories. Very clever. Um, all right, so, you know, I'm not doing a good job of keeping track of which ones I'm asking. You'll have to help me. I, I don't think I'll repeat, but, um, all right. This retirement account provides small employers with a simplified method to contribute toward their employees and their own retirement savings. Lori. What is a simple IRA? That is correct. Very good. Um, so, all right. Here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad you answered it. <laughs> you, if you don't know, you can yeah, just I guess. Okay. Uh, so, do you know how much you can contribute to a simple IRA in a, in a calendar year? It, change, it changes every year, so I don't expect you to know the exact number. Okay. Um... I am going to say that it's 12,000. Ah, close. Okay. So for 2022, and it does go, so every every year as time goes on, they increase the amount, you know, to account for inflation, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, as you know, time goes on, uh, they want you to be able to put more in uh, to take advantage. Um, so for calendar, so for 2022, it's 14,000. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, then they also provide what they call a catch-up provision so that if you're 50 years old or older, you can actually do an extra 3,000 on top apply. of that. Doesn't apply to I'm anybody sure, I'm here. sure that doesn't apply to doesn't anybody apply here. To anybody in yep, this room. Nobody here. <laughs> Um, so that's a total of you know up to seventeen thousand dollars that okay. you know if you're fifty or older that you can put into a Great. to a simple IRA, which is you know considerable amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know it's more than and we'll talk. I'm sure we'll talk about this you know later. It's more than like if you just had a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. So it's more than that. Um, not quite as much as a as a four hundred one k, however. Um, but but a simple is it's as it as it states it's, it's a simple simpler form um, you know format to open versus a four hundred one k, and then so the other the other part of it is there is a a matching component uh, to it. All right, so the so the fourteen thousand and three thousand that's just what the employee is able to put in. The employer also has, you know, the basically, well, has to match, but they have two options. Um, They can do what's called a non-elective matching contribution, uh, and that is at a 2% uh, level. So if they decide, if the employer decides that's what they want to do, then they have to put in 2% of everybody's, you know, annual compensation contributed to their simple IRA, regardless of if the employee contributes or not. Oh. All right, so the other option is they could do they could do a 3% match as long as the you know, employee contributes at least 3% of their salary. Uh, so they can do the math and decide you know, which one you know, they want to do you know, based on their, you know, I guess, payroll. Uh, so it's either 2% non-elective or 3% you know, matching. 
Okay, so that was Lori. All right, so Lori, you, you have control of the board. Okay, I would like the roller coaster, please. Ooh, okay. Oh. Exciting. Yes, yes. Hang on. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, all right, let's see. All right. This market experiences prolonged price declines. Yes, Lori, again. <laughs> what is a bear market? That is correct. All right. So, um, so there's a there is a definition per se as far as what you know what constitutes a bear market. You know, there has to be a certain level of decline in order you know in order for the you know for it to meet that criteria. Do you know what that that percentage of decline is? Ooh, I feel like it's either ten or twenty percent. I'm going to go with ten percent. It is twenty percent. It is twenty percent. But, but hey, oh, but that's okay. Yeah. So okay. So actually, a ten percent, they would call that a correction. Oh. So they, you know, okay. which is kind of a, you know, it's a fuzzy thing, right? But I think ten percent or more, they call that, they consider that a correction. Twenty percent or more, they consider that a bear market. Okay. Um, you know what I find interesting is though. So you know, bear market is one term that's used, but in the news, you know, they they use words like you know. Plummet, right? Mm-hmm. And free fall. Scary and, words. And, you know, you know, they try to make it sound as, you know, as, as scary as they can, right? Um, you know, so I mean, it's just one of the, it's just one of those things. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so technically twenty percent. Um, now, okay, so so can that change weekly, daily, or is it? Well, I guess it depends on how much there's a fluctuation, right? Yeah, it, it, it's such a it's such a, f- a fuzzy thing because mm-hmm. it's like well. You, you never know when the bear market's over until maybe a year or two or three after that, because oh. you have to, you know, you really don't know you until you look back and say, oh, okay, you know, we've start, we've been in a consistent climb, you know, after that. So you really don't know. That's um, interesting. It is interesting, and it, it makes it, but it, it also makes it more challenging, right? Because mm-hmm. you never know how long it's going to be. Um, there's no, there's no defined period of time, right? That's why this right. is called the roller coaster. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, the average, you know, the average length of historic bear markets has been about 18 months. You know, that's about the average. Um, but we've certainly seen seen ones that are just a few months, you know, three, four, five months, which are scary, right? Because to see a 20% drop mm-hmm. in three or four months right. is a lot to... Um, but then they, but then they start climbing again, um, and then there are other times where it's been down for you know two years or longer, and that's that's scary too, right? Because it's like you feel like it's an eternity, and it's like when is this thing ever going to turn around? Um, right. Right. Is, but I, I guess as long as we don't panic and pull our money out, is that? That's typically advisable, yes, but it depends on your situation. Okay. Uh, talk to okay. your advisor. <laughs> okay. Okay. Very good. So, Mike will tell you: do not look at it every day. Yes. Don't look at your portfolio every day. Correct. You have, to have the stomach for this, he says. Uh, all right, so Lori, uh, I'm not keeping score in my head, but I think you might be ahead here, uh, and I think it's your turn to pick Actually, again. Actually, I'm ahead. Oh, sorry. Oh, Mary Beth right. is ahead all because right. she has. Some I answered a five point, point question. Oh, okay. Points, yeah. so. All right, but that's right. okay. Um, but I will pick the next category. Oh, I don't have like I didn't have like a we don't have like a you know a daily double. We didn't do those. Uh, all right, we'll do, we'll do that for next time. We'll get really. We'll refine this as we yeah. as we go. This along. is the learning process. Yes, it is. All right, Lori, what category would you like? All right, let's go with financial potpourri, please. Okay. All right. Let's see. All right. This government stipulated minimum amount that a retirement plan account owner must withdraw annually, starting with the year that he or she reaches seventy-two. Jane. 
What is the required minimum distribution? That is correct. Um, and so, all right. So it used to be. Do you know what the old age used to be? That, um, what is it now? Seventy-two. It's at seventy-two so now. It used to be seventy. Yeah, I used to be 70 and a half uh, was, the, was the prior one. So if you turned 70 and a half before January 1st, 2020, then you're in the 70 and a half camp. Uh, but, uh, but if you didn't turn until you know, after 2020, then it's 72. Okay. All right, so if you're turning, you know, so if you're turning 72 uh, now or in the future, that's, that's when you're required to- Again, affects set. no one in this right, room. No one at all. I, yes. <laughs> but did they do that so that because people are working longer? Uh, yes, you know I mean? basically, like basically, li- li- well, li- life expectancies have okay. have continued to get longer, um, and so that's that's mainly what's driving it. Is life expectancies have gotten gotten longer? And, but you have to take it. You can't say it's government. You can't say I don't want to take my RMD this year. You must take it. Correct. C- correct. When you're of eight, when you're of that age. So okay. So there's a couple a couple of things. Um, if it's your first one, so if it's, it's the first time that you're considered 72 or 70 and a half, depending on you know how old you are, uh, you are able to defer your first one up until April 1st of the following year. Oh, uh, so you get you know let's you know let's say you're working and you, you know maybe maybe it makes sense to defer it to the next year for tax purposes. However, if you do that. You, have to, you still have to, you'll have to take two that year, right? Oh. So you'll have to take the one from this year and also the one for next year. And sometimes, you know, in rare circumstances, that might make sense. It really kind of depends on your tax situation, right? If mm-hmm. you want to try to, um, you know, bunching them up in the same year probably doesn't work, but it, again, it depends. Um, so one other sort of exception is that if you're still working, okay? So if you turn 72, this year, let's say, and you're still working, and you have a 401k, right? Because a 401k typically would have those required distribution. You know, um, you know, they'd be for, you'd be forced to take something out. But if you're still working, and as long as you you don't own you know five percent or more of the company that you work for, then you can defer taking the distribution until you retire. Um, so that you know, I'm seeing that you know, happen, you know, more and more as, as people are working longer and, you know, living longer, they're, you know, sometimes they're still working. And so you don't have to take one if you're still working. Um, and do you have all year to take it or do you have to take it at a certain time? All right. So if you, so basically whatever year you retire then, so let's, let's say you work until you're 75. So you, you don't have to take anything out of your 401k, but as soon as you retire, that you, that's considered the first year that you need to take something. Um, and even even if you retire, if you retired on December thirty first, you'd be required to take Ooh. one for that year. Wow. You can, st- in my from what I've when I've you know I've read, um, you can still defer that first one until April first of the following year, but you're, then you're going to have two again. Mm. Uh, so technically, you could do that. But um, and one other you know one other note on that is you know if if you had let's say you had. So you have your 401k at work, and then you also have IRAs, you know, that you have on the side. Um, the IRAs you would have to take required distributions from because it's the 401k that has that special rule about deferring while you're working. If some now some 401ks allow you to roll IRA money into the 401k, so if you wanted to, you could 
or if the plan allowed for it, you could take some of your some or all of your IRAs and roll them into your 401k, and then theoretically defer all of your RMDs until you retire. Oh, interesting. Not it's not always the case. Yeah. You know, it depends. It's plan specific as far as you know whether or not it lets. Um, all right, so. We are just about ready to take a break. Um, actually, do you have do you have the uh, Social Security? I info do. As a matter could... of fact, we have our Social Security seminar coming up. It's going to be virtual again this year. Um, it is on Thursday, April twenty first, from six thirty to eight thirty p.m., featuring Social Security expert Kurt Zarnowski. He's been doing the um, Social Security uh, seminar for us for a few years now. And you can either call the office at seven eight one eight three four two zero one zero to register, or visit our website at www.mcnamarafinancial.com. Perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, all right, so you're listening to McNamara on Money. Uh, we're playing a little bit of Financial Jeopardy today. Uh, we will be back in just a minute or two. Market turbulence can cause panic, and you might be wondering if your investments are allocated properly. I'm Kirk Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Let me help you understand your investment strategy and ensure that it is suitable for you. Then you can turn off the financial news and move on with your life. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. Uh, we're doing a special show today of Financial Jeopardy. Uh, my name is Kirk Reed. I'm one of the advisors at McNamara Financial, uh, and I'm joined by a couple of uh, co-workers uh, today, Mary Beth, Lori, and Jane. Uh, and so we had our first round of Jeopardy, uh, and Jane is in the lead. Ooh, ooh, All right. Jane, Jane, uh, Jane. Then we have Mary Beth in second and Lori in third. All right. So I think we should let Lori pick the next uh, the next category. Let me let me reread the categories for our listeners. We have who can I trust? What's in it for me? Uh, the roller coaster. <laughs> financial potpourri. And good housekeeping. Where there's a will, where would you like to go? Let's go with who can I trust? Okay. I'm just trying to get more points than me. That's right. <laughs> All right. Is this a, is this a high point one? This is yes, a high five point points. One, yes. Okay, five points. All right, a lot of money on the line. All right, uh, there is no money on the line. Um, <laughs> okay, so an individual or firm that advises clients on their investments and may. Ma- <laughs> I think Mary Beth had her hand up first. What is an I, um, RIA, Registered Investment Advisor? That is correct. Yay. Okay. Uh, all right. So that was big money. All right. Um, money. So do you know, so how, do you know how McNamara Financial is registered? They are an I, an RIA. I That's, keep saying IRA, but they are that and an RIA. So what's very confusing, what's even more confusing is that, you know, myself, I'm considered an IAR, uh, an investment oh. advisor representative of McNamara Financial, which is an RIA. It's I don't know why they had to pick. Soup there? Yes, it's like the exact same letters, just rearranged. It's very confusing. O B O Y. What's that? Is it O B O Y? Okay. Uh, so, and you know, one comment I would make there is that so basically, as an as an IAR <laughs> uh, of an RIA. Uh, you know, I am a fiduciary, which I know that that's going to come up. I'm sure that comes up in other questions, but, you know, we could kind of discuss that. Do, uh, does anybody know, or I asked Mary Beth, I guess, because you're, you're on the hook here. Do you know what that means to be a fiduciary? 
I do. Okay. <laughs> okay, that is correct. All right. Would you care to elaborate? I believe it's, I, I don't believe, I know it is a person who has, it's it, actually, it's like, for instance, you. You deal with your client's best interests in mind. You don't take a commission. You're not paid to sway clients one way or another. You just, you, you deal with clients as if they were, they, you have their best interests in mind. Uh, correct. I mean, basically, yeah. Do I get another point for that? You get another okay. point for that. Yes, yes. I know you're keeping track, which is good. Of course. Um, yeah, as, you know, a fiduciary. I mean, it's sometimes that you know, so an investment advisor can be a fiduciary, but not always. Uh, you know, we are because of the way that we're registered. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm also a, a certified financial planner, which also has to act in the form of a fiduciary. So I'm a fiduciary squared, uh, <laughs> so to speak. Can um, I ask you a question? Sure. <laughs> Are all advisors fiduciaries? No, uh, no, they're not. Um, and that's Why not? You know, well, that's a, <laughs> that's a very good question. But Why wouldn't they be? But they're not. Um, you know, there's basically. I mean, the, the there's one level that basically says you know you just have to give suitable recommendations, and as long as you do that, then that's considered to be you know by certain powers to be you know adequate. Uh, but the new, you know, the new standard of care, or at least the way it should be, is that, you, you know, you should act as a fiduciary. Basically, you know, you're giving advice, you know, in the best interest of the client. Whether or not that means you end up working together, you know, that, that shouldn't be the end goal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you start with what's best for them, and, and if that means working together, great. And if not, then, then so be it. Um, but that's not always the case uh, with, with certain people. And at McNamara Financial, everyone is a fiduciary. That's correct. Yep. Yep. So myself, Justin, Alyssa, Mike, we're all certified financial planners, all IARs, so all fiduciaries. Correct. Um, all right. So, all right. So Mary Beth. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So does that put you in the lead? Ooh. I have 11 points. Yes. Probably. All right. Absolutely. Most likely. All right. So you're in the I'm lead and in control of the Stand board. Back, all right. All right. I'm going to go with good housekeeping where there's a will. All right. So that's like our first one, right? All right. I don't think we've done anything there. All right, let's see. Um, okay, we kind of talked about this. All right, we'll go. We'll do this one anyway. Uh, no, okay. This is a legal document that places the grantor's assets. <laughs> all, right, all right, Lori, Lori. Well, let me, let me, let me. Well, you can answer, but let me finish the question. Uh, this is a legal document that places the grantor's assets into a trust during his lifetime. And then distributes them to his his or her heirs or beneficiaries after death. The grantor can change or cancel uh, the trust while he is still alive. Ooh, well, I'm glad you read the whole question because oh. I could have gone with either one. What were you going to say? I'm going to go with a revocable trust. That is correct. In the form of a question, what is a revocable that trust? That is correct. What is, Jeopardy. who is, you could even say who is, right? Isn't that the deal? You, and I guess now you can mm-hmm. just say, as long as it's a question, it doesn't really matter if it's the right, right grammar. Those are uh, the official... Jeopardy rules, right? What is a revocable Who trust? <laughs> Correct. And so, okay, all right, so here's a follow-up question for you. All right, so when you set up this trust, you know, it's a, it's an, an entity, right? And, you know, you might put financial assets into it that could have tax ramifications. Mm-hmm. So you need to assign, you know, a tax ID to the trust. Do you know what, what is commonly used as a tax ID for a revocable trust? 
Um, you mean the document, the document like a W nine or? Um, so the W nine could you know theoretically assign the social uh, the mm-hmm. social security or the tax ID, ID number. Um, I mean, what is the what is the number called? Is that what you're asking me? The no. W-9? So like um, so for a revocable trust, you could either use like a social security number of an individual. Or you could create a special tax ID number that you set up with, like you know, through your accountant or you know, directly through the IRS. So for a revocable trust, you know which one you would use. You would Let's, use. I think the, Mary Beth wants to steal. The trust ID. What? The trust tax ID. So, so I think I'm getting at it. Okay. So yes. So yeah. Typically, for a revocable trust, you would just use the social security number of one of the trustees. Oh, okay. Okay. I did not know that. Okay. Thank you. So yeah. So like so <laughs> revocable. Tr- yeah. No. That's great. That's the yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. Um, so for a revocable trust, you know, it's typically you know maybe it's a single person or maybe it's a you know a husband and wife or a couple, and so typically what they do because everything is still in their name, like they have full control over that asset when they put it in. Th- I mean, revocable means they mm-hmm. can write, they can take it back, they can yeah. make changes, mm-hmm. and so. Typically, they just use one of their social security numbers to, to, you know, to be the tax ID. So, if there's any tax ramifications, you know, dividends, interest, capital gains, it just flows to the individual. Um, all right, let's try. Okay, so okay, so back to Lori. Where would you like to go for the next category? I would like to go with financial potpourri. Mm, okay, let's find it. All right. The percentage by which the cost of goods and services increases and the value of money decreases over time. Lori? What is inflation? That is correct. Um, That is a very hot topic uh, these days, as I'm sure you've you've experienced uh, personally. Uh, I mean, I guess, you know, I hear people talk, you know, grocery store, right? Yes. Uh, And and the gas. I mean, I think those are the the big ones that, that most people are talking about. Um, housing. And s- housing. Housing. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Wood, lumber in general. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everything. The right? list goes a lot, on. A lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Do So last year was a very high year. Do you know what the rate of inflation was? I feel uh, like it was 5.7%. So th- that could be that could be right. There actually, there are different ways to measure it. Uh, okay. There are a couple of different ways to measure it. I, you know, the one that I was looking up, uh, it said 7%. Uh, but it depends. You know, there are certain categories of things that they group together when they put the number together. So it depends. It varies. Um, but it was high, right? Last high. last year was hot. Last year was high relative yes. to, to history. Um, so the Federal Reserve is basically in charge of trying to keep that number at a certain level. Do you know what the number? You know, sort of what their mandate is as far as what they try to keep it at over over time. Five percent, three percent. Say two or three. I'm trying to ask, correct the question. Like. Yeah, we can't. I can't do that. I can't help you. I can't help I'll you. I'll say five percent. You, you have to. You have to risk. You have to risk. I'll say five percent. Uh, so it's two percent. Two percent is kind of their. I was. Ha- I was halfway there. You were more than halfway there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, two and a half percent there. You're gonna get technical then. Okay. Okay. So two percent is the target. Uh, and, you know, obviously it's not going to be perfect, but that's that's kind of their job is to try to keep it at a certain level uh, as best they can. Um, so I put, you know, I have a couple of historical dates. So, you know, if, if it was 7%, you know, last year, that was a high number. Uh, and it really high compared to the last, you know, 
10, 20, 30 years. The last time we saw a number even close to that was 1990 when it was 6.1. Between 1990 and now, it was was like twos, threes, you know, for the most part. Um, And then 1979, it was 13. So that was was a big year. Um, And then the biggest year, at least as far as, I think as far as recorded, you know, recorded data was 1946. Do you want to make a guess? You want to make a guess what it was in 1946? No. <laughs> okay. 14. It was higher. 18. It was 18.1. Ooh. Yeah. 18.1% in 1946. So that was the highest that I saw, you know, historic, you know, going back to the 30s. In the 30s, we actually saw deflation, right? So it was negative, you know, things were negative back, you know, back in the 20s and 30s. Uh, all right. So who? That was Lori, right? Lori. All right. In control. She Where studied. would you like to go? Lori studied. Um, let's go with what's in it for me. All right. All right. So this is a retirement savings plan offered by many American em- – oh, Jane. Let me finish. Uh, by many American <laughs> employers that has tax advantages to the saver. Uh, what is a 401K? That is correct. All right. So I'll ask you the same question I asked – Lori earlier. Okay. All right. And that is how much can you put into a 401k per year? Um, and it changes. It, again, it changes it a little bit every year or every couple of years. Is it a dollar amount or a percentage? It's a dollar amount. Um, um, 15,000? All right. So in, so for 2022, and it did go up a little bit this year, uh, it's $20,500. Wow. So as a you know as an individual you can put up to twenty thousand five hundred dollars into your four hundred one k. If you're fifty or older, you can put an additional sixty five hundred dollars. Uh, so that's a total of twenty seven thousand. If you were fifty or older, that you could put into your four hundred one k. So a significant number. I have a follow up question for me for you for me yeah for you yeah. Um, so the deadline is approaching to make that contribution for 2021? No, so 401ks are, are, are on a calendar basis. Gotcha, uh, all so, right. so you would have finished on December 31st of last year. Okay. So yeah, you can't have, go backwards in 401ks. I have another question. Sure. What does, do you know what the K stands for? What, uh, what does the K stand for? No, I don't. Uh, it's probably something to do with the IRS code. It's probably oh. just, there was probably like 401A, B, C, D. Interesting. Yeah, that's my, that's a okay. Sounds good cool. guess, I, I think. think. We're going to go with it. We'll go with it. Yeah. I have a question about those. Just yeah. So I know most of it comes out of your, your, your paycheck mm-hmm. every month. I mean, every week or every, how often you get paid. Can you make extra payments to your own 401k from, you know, your savings account or something? Or does it all have to come from your payroll? has to come from payroll. Oh, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the rules. It has to come be a deduction from your payroll. Wow. Um, so. Is that because it's funded with pre-tax dollars? So. And a 401k, you can have, you can do, well, it depends on the 401k. Most of them, you know, you, it's pre-tax, right? So any money you put in basically gets deducted from your taxable pay. So it doesn't, it never shows up on your W-2, right? So you don't have to pay taxes on it. However, some 401ks, depends on the plan, allows you to do post-tax or Roth contributions to your 401k. So that's not 
you know, that's not a blanket thing. I think it's becoming more popular that we're starting to see more of that. I know people that, I, you know, clients that I talk to, it seems, you know, when I ask them, I'm getting that it's a possibility a lot more uh, than it used to be. Um, so if you do the Roth, right, so you then you put the money in after taxes. So you're paying the taxes just like you were receiving the, receiving the money in your bank account, but it's tax-free when you take the money out in retirement. So that's the trade-off. Mm. Um, the other interesting thing about doing a Roth inside of a 401k is that anybody can do it regardless of how much money you make. So like for somebody that wants to do a Roth IRA just out of, you know, out of their checkbook, you know, so there are limitations uh, as far as how much money you can make. If you make too much money, the IRS says you can't do a Roth contribution. However, in the confines of a 401k, it doesn't matter how much money you make. So anybody can do it. So FYI. Uh, know. All right. So are we still with Lori? Uh, I think no, that was me. That was Jane? Yeah, all right. That was me. All right. Where would you like to go, Jane? Um, I'm going to go back to who can I trust, please. Okay. All right. Let's see. Everybody look at Kirk now. <laughs> Why? <laughs> oh. Uh, all right. This is a legal authorization that gives a designated person, all right, uh, term the agent or attorney, in fact, the power to act for another person known as the principal. Uh, okay. Lori. What is a power of attorney? That is correct. Um, so power of attorney, um, yeah, basically you're giving somebody else, you know, ability to act financially speaking, right? They can do financial things for you. So if you're in the hospital, you know, temporarily, uh, or if you're maybe you're in a coma, uh, which can go on for prolonged periods of time, somebody can act on your behalf, you know, pay your bills, uh, things like that. Um, all right, so question for you, Lori. Um, do you know, have, have you heard the term durable power of attorney? I have heard it. Mm -hmm. You know what it means? <laughs> <laughs> um, durable, that it's lasting? Right, okay. Um, I'm uh, grasping it. Yeah, that's okay. So, yeah, I mean, I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah. Um, more specifically, it means that it it's good even if the person that you're acting on uh, is incapacitated. Oh, okay. Uh, so, like, if they're yeah in a coma per se, right? They're incapacitated, right? They can't do anything on their own. A durable power of attorney would still have, you know, power. Uh, versus if it if there might be language that says in if in a non-durable power of attorney that says that they get in, incapacitated the power goes away mm -hmm. and you can't do anything so it depends on the document you know how it's set up um, all power of attorneys end with death oh. so once you know once the person passes away the power of attorney is null and void uh, you can't do anything you know now now we're basically now the next now the person that's stepping in is like the personal representative you know, what used to be like your executor or executrix. Now that's the person that's mm -hmm. handling your affairs. Power attorney is only when you're alive. Mm, okay. Um, Thank you. All right. Um, oh, no, that's fine. We'll, yeah, we'll move on. Uh, where would you like to go next? <laughs> I would like to go to good housekeeping where there's a will. All right. Okay. Uh, all right. Okay. The legal process of administering the estate 
of this uh, of the decedent is this. I think Mary Beth had that one. Yeah. What is probate? That is correct. Uh, all right. So, an interesting thing. So people think if they have a will that they're all set, right? That that's going to cover everything. Not and, true. Okay. Well, still, it's still certainly an important thing to have. Everybody should have a will. Uh, but just because you have a will doesn't mean you avoid probate. In fact, having a will means you are going to go to probate. Mm. Um, you know, will basically is is helps the you know the judge or whomever is you know presiding over the the probate case or proceedings, but it's still going there. Um, so let me ask you this: so in Massachusetts. Uh, how long do you think, on average, a probate process takes? Well, I know the courts are backed up because of COVID, <laughs> but I think generally, could it take up to three years? Uh, that'd be that'd be long. Is that too long? That'd be long. Um, the average is like a year to eighteen months. Okay. Wow. So like twelve to eighteen months on average. Um, now there is, um, you know, there is a, a special process, you know, a simplified process. So, like, if your estate maybe it doesn't have a lot in it, um, and the number is roughly like fifteen thousand dollars. So, like, if you know, if it's there's not a lot, well, this is just at the probatable estate. So, like, if all your stuff is in IRAs for the most part, you know, those all have the beneficiaries, like we talked about, and that goes that goes right to the to the people. It avoids probate. But if whatever is left, say, you know, bank accounts or something like that that goes through probate, if it's like $15,000 or less, then there's a simplified version. And that only takes about two months. Oh. Um, but, you know, but if you're but if you're over 15000 it's got to go through the normal channels. And that can be, you know, a year to 18 months. And so, you know, that's just something to be aware of if if you don't have things. If there's certain things you can put beneficiaries on, you know, you're best to just do it, and then you mm-hmm. can avoid something that's can be kind of challenging, and um, you know it's going to cost money. And um, all right, so Mary Beth, um, you know, let's stay with good housekeeping where there's a will. Okay, all right, um, all right. So this is a kind of trust that cannot be changed or canceled after the document has been signed. This sets it apart from a revocable trust. Jane, which can be altered or terminated and only becomes irrevocable when the trust maker or grantor dies. That would be an irrevocable trust. That is correct. All right. So so we talked about the revocable trust earlier, right? So that can be changed. The, the trustees are typically the people putting the money in. And... So in this case, it's not going to be the it's not going to be the same people. So let's say you know, husband and wife have some assets that they want to protect from, say, a nursing home. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, in order to separate themselves from the asset, they would put it into this irrevocable trust, and so they would have to name somebody else to be the trustees. Um, it can be doesn't really matter who it is. It just has to be somebody else. Um, you know, most people would pick you know a child or, or children, um, uh, or you could even have hire like an attorney uh, to you know to to be your professional uh, trustee. Um, but that's the main thing. So if you're trying to protect an asset, you have to separate yourself from it, which means you cannot be the trustee. Um, and so on this one. So we talked earlier about 
on the revocable trust that usually you would just use one of the trustees social security numbers as the, the tax identification number. So for a irrevocable trust, you know, you're not, you're not going to do that uh, because now you're trying to separate yourself. Uh, and so you're gonna have to set up a separate, you know, tax ID number. Um, all right. So, so do you go to an attorney, you, so you go to an attorney to set up either trust, either a revocable or an irrevocable trust. Correct. Unfortunately, McNamara Financial does not does not draft trusts. Uh, get that question all the time. All the time. Yeah, but we do not do that. We, we have a great to, list of referrals, though. Yes, yes. You need to meet with an attorney uh, to do that. Um, and please don't please don't do it yourself. No. <laughs> um, all right. So who was that? Who's that was that was me. That was you. Yes. All right. So what would you like to do next? Um, I think we should stay with good housekeeping. Okay. Yeah, all right. Here. Uh, all right. Let's see. Okay. This provides additional liability coverage beyond what your home, auto, or boat insurance may provide. Yes, Mary What Beth. is umbrella insurance? That is correct. Now, do any of you have umbrella insurance? I do. No. You do? Yes, I do. Okay. Any idea how much how much coverage you have? I don't. Okay. I don't. I wouldn't expect you to. I'm not in charge of that department <laughs> in my house. Yeah, okay. Um, so, you know, you have, like, when, you're, when you have your auto insurance, you know, it has a certain level, like if you were to you know, hit somebody with your car, right? Uh, you could do substantial damage to somebody. Um, and so that liability coverage is gonna help pay for, you know, medical bills and things like that. And, you know, I don't, honestly don't know off the top of my head what the standard, you know, coverage is, but I mean, medical guilt bills can get out of control mm. pretty fast. And, you know, so even if you have a pretty high coverage on your on your automobile policy, uh, it's it's possible that it could go above and beyond that and to the point of you know mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of dollars if not more um and so the umbrella policy basically is additional coverage right so it protects it protect you know it pays if you know it's going to go to your auto policy first and then once that maxes out you know mm -hmm. the umbrella would step in um umbrella coverage is relatively inexpensive Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a good idea for just about any everybody and anybody that has you know that has assets and doesn't doesn't want to you know have have a potentially catastrophic uh, event uh, fall upon them. Um, I mean, you can get a million, you know, two million dollars of umbrella coverage for you know several hundred dollars a year, um, you know, plus or minus. So well it's, worth it. Yes, I totally agree. Mm. Uh, all right, Mary Beth, where where do you want to go? Let's go back to who can I trust? Okay. Uh, all right, let's see. An official designation held by a financial advisor, hopefully your financial advisor. <laughs> uh, this certification requires formal coursework, an exam, a period of supervision, and yearly continuing education. Yes. All right, Mary Beth, an emphatic. I, I, yeah, everyone else was wavering. So. <laughs> I got my hand up quicker. Right? Yeah, yeah. What is a CFP or a Certified Financial Planner Practitioner? That's that is correct. Um, and as we talked about, you know, all of the advisors at McNamara are CFPs, um, which again, that you know, that means that we are uh, fiduciaries. Um, I yeah. So I was looking back at my, um, you know, Mary Beth has been reminding me about my continuing education, which, you know, we have to do every every couple of years to stay on top of things and, you know, things change. 
Um, and so I was looking back. So I got my CFB in 2013. Wow. So, so it'll be 10 years next year. We'll have to have a party. Oh, uh, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> and how many is this, Mike? Do you know how many is Mike is? I don't know, yeah. I don't a lot. Know. Yeah, he was one of like the founding members probably. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. That's funny. <laughs> uh, all right, so we just have a minute or two. Maybe, maybe we'll do one more question before the break. Okay, let's stay with who can I trust really quick. All right. Uh, this agency is an independent federal government regulatory agency responsible for protecting... Okay. It's compliance. Jane, for so. protecting investors, <laughs> maintaining fair and orderly functioning of the securities markets, and facilitating capital formation. That would be the SEC, or the Securities and Exchange Commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, so McNamara Financial, uh, we register uh, with the SEC. So basically, if you're if you have a certain amount of assets under management, you're required to file with the SEC. Uh, I believe the number these days is 110 million. I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the number. So if you have 110 million or more in assets, uh, you file with the SEC. Uh, all right, so I think we're just about ready to take a break. Uh, we'll, in the meantime, we'll tabulate our uh, our yes. standings, uh, <laughs> Let's do and the math. then we'll be right back. And I guess next it will be double jeopardy next time, right? When oh, we come back. Oh yeah. All right, all right. I so we'll, about that. We'll be right back all after right. the break. <laughs> 